Welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast, where it's all about uncovering questions, thoughts, and discoveries in your own personal Book of Mormon study. I know it seems crazy, but for over four years, I've been writing out the Book of Mormon, word for word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. It's amazing what we can learn when we slow down and give space for personal revelation and insights beyond our normal reading pace. I'm Susan Gardner, a convert, a cyclist, and a Zuma to eight amazing grandkids. Come with me as we unveil new perspectives and understanding as I continue to write out the Book of Mormon. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Susan Gardner, and you're listening to Writing the Book of Mormon podcast, Season 2, Episode 7. When I think about going to elementary school, I remember sitting at my desk. My teacher would hand out papers with those purplish words copied from a mimeograph machine. I'd soon be pressing my nose to the paper and taking a big sniff. <sighs> what was it about the smell of mimeograph ink anyway? I remember sometimes our tests would be on those handouts. One of my favorite parts of taking a test back then was matching similar words. You'd read one word, take your pencil, and draw a line to another word you thought was similar. I learned when I connected different words, my understanding of that word increased. Like connecting different words on those tests, each time I've read about the stories of Alma and his followers and King Limhi and his people, even though I knew they were different, it seemed they could be connected somehow. As I wrote out the chapters containing these stories, I saw many similarities. Maybe it was because both groups found themselves in bondage and both were delivered by the Lord. Another reason, this past week I was excited to tear both of those accounts apart and compare them side by side. I'll admit I'm a scripture nerd, and besides the valuable things I learned, it was really fun to do. It helped me to adapt the dissecting process I used in Season 1, Episode 5, titled Dissecting Dialogue, in case you're interested. To make it easier to compare the story of Alma and Limhi side by side, I copied and pasted into Word, Mosiah chapter 3, starting at verse 15, and Mosiah chapter 24, 8 through 25. These chapters highlight Alma's experience. Since these two groups are contemporaries, I copied and pasted Mosiah 19, 25 through 29, Mosiah 21, and Mosiah 22. Uh, I had to put King Mosiah and his people in similar situations as Alma and his people. Like last time, I used colors to highlight the similarities and put those colors in categories. The categories I chose were situations, what the prophet said, what the people did, and how the Lord blessed them. I wish I had time to share all the similarities and insights I found between the two groups, but for now, I'll just pick a couple of my favorites. First of all, the story of Alma and his people in Helam is my favorite number one go-to story that shows even when you're striving to live in a godly way, you still have challenges. I believe that that was Mormon's go-to story too. This story teaches the beautiful doctrine of the Lord caring for us so much, he teaches us plainly our faith and patience will be tested. He says, nevertheless, the Lord seeth fit to chasten his people, yet he trieth their patience and their faith. He also says, Nevertheless, whoso putteth his trust in him, the same shall be lifted up at the last day. Yea, and thus it was with this people. He tells us being chastened by him is something he sees fit to do. 
when I see these two words see fit together, I can't help but think of all those talks and lessons at church we've heard about doing the Lord's will. For me, I understand it means doing what He wants over what I want. In addition, for me to clearly see what God's will is, when I see the word sees fit, it's to me, it's like being given a peek into who God is. Oh, I can't help myself. I can't pass over my favorite word, nevertheless. It's used twice here and used so incredibly well. The first nevertheless comes in verse 21, right after we are told the good news. And it came to pass that they did multiply and prosper exceedingly in the land of Helam. The first nevertheless hits. It's as though the Lord is saying, you all are doing so well, but you know what? To really help you, I'm going to let challenges come so your faith and patience can really be tried. After all, what kind of allegiance would we have to anything valuable if we are only all in when everything's going right? Now for the second nevertheless. Nevertheless, whoso putteth his trust in him, the same shall be lifted up the last day. Yea, and thus it was with his people. Now, in my heart, this nevertheless says to me, I know it's going to be difficult, but if you trust what I'm allowing to happen is best for you, in the end, I will save you. You will be delivered. It's comforting to realize God doesn't do anything without a perfect reason. I believe everything the Lord sees fit to do helps us become what he sees we need to become. So, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah. Right when everything seems to be going well for Alma and his people, the Lord sees fit. These happy people are accidentally stumbled upon and brought into bondage by the Lamanites. To make matters worse, these same Lamanites had recently joined forces with the leader of a group of vile priests named Amulon. Now in the past, Alma and Amulon both served wicked King Noah. Amulon is well aware of Alma's escape from the priests of the king of Noah. And he's well aware that he's embraced conversion to God. Now that Alma's people are in bondage, Amulon feels greatly empowered, especially since he has been given some authority to decide what happens to his enemy and his people. Okay, now let's change gears and look at Limhi's situation. Despite being the son of an extremely evil king, somehow Limhi is a good man. He has been made king over a people previously ruled by his father, King Noah. Although the city is their own, he and his people are reaping the consequences of prophecies concerning them from the prophet Abinadi. They are paying extremely high taxes to the Lamanites and are living under their bondage. Speaking of high taxes, one of the prophecies of Abinadi was that the people would be taxed with a tax so grievous to be born. One of the especially ironic things I found about the people of Limhi paying taxes to the Lamanites was how the tax money was being used. In Mosiah 19.28 it says, And the king of the Lamanites set guards round about the land that he might keep the people of Limhi in the land, that they might not depart into the wilderness. And he did support his guards out of the tribute which he did receive from the Nephites. Can you see the irony? The people of Limhi are forbidden to leave the land. The Lamanites have forced them to pay heavy taxes. How do the Lamanites use the tax money? To pay the guards to make sure the people of Limhi stay in the land. Essentially, the people of Limhi are paying the Lamanites to keep them trapped in their own land. Crazy. 
Okay, let's get back on track. Both Amma and Limhi's people share a similar situation of being in bondage to the Lamanites. As we read on, we see each group suffers great physical burdens by those that exercise authority over them. Yet, as similar as their situations are, the reactions to their situations are different. Let's compare how different they were. When we read in Mosiah 21, verse 6, Limhi's people began to murmur to the king because of their afflictions, and they began to be desirous to go to battle against their enemies. There was no way out for the people of Limhi. They were surrounded on every side, so they afflicted the king sorely with their complaints. And after murmuring to the king about their suffering, the king, quote, grants unto them that they should do according to the desires, end quote. Limhi prepare to physically go to battle with their enemies. They do so, in fact, three times, losing each time. Because they were compelled to be humble, they decided to turn their hearts to God. It says, And they did humble themselves even to the dust, subjecting themselves to the yoke of bondage, submitting themselves to be smitten and to be driven to and fro and burdened according to the desires of their enemies. And they did humble themselves even in the depths of humility. And they did cry mightily to God, even all the day long did they cry unto their God that he would deliver them out of their afflictions. In contrast, Amos people seem to already be a humble people. Now, the reason why I say that is because when we read in chapter 24, verses 10 through 12, Amos people also are suffering much and their burdens are too heavy to bear. But what did they do? How did they react? They turned their cries for delivery not to their earthly king, but instead to their heavenly king. In fact, even when they were threatened with death, should they be found calling upon God, they did pour out their hearts to him. Being humble is a characteristic God wants for us. Seems like difficult times tend to bring us to humble land pretty quick. What is it about having to exhaust all our options without God in our lives? before we let him into our lives. What I have noticed is my reaction to difficult times play a big part in how long it takes to arrive where God wants me. I'm grateful he patiently waits. I believe as we are humbled and come unto God, we are better able to learn his ways. Learning this new God-like way of living is a step-by-step process, one small change at a time. As I wrote out chapter 21 and 22, I noticed some of those small changes in the people of Limhi. After having failed in three attempts battling their enemies, their people suffered great loss. You know what they did? They stopped thinking solely of their oppressive circumstances and their desire to be freed. Instead, they looked around them and they turned their attention away from their enemies and began to focus on their own people, people they could support and help. Because of the great loss of lives in the battles, many of the women and children were without the support of husbands and fathers. King Limhi commanded the people to impart the resources to support and help the widows and children. They also began to show unity by keeping together as much as possible. They looked out for each other. As the people of Limhi came together for good, the Lord did hear their cries. Even though the Lord didn't see fit, to deliver them from bondage at this time, he did soften the hearts of their captors and bless the people of Limhi to prosper by degrees. Now, what does it mean to prosper by degrees? What does that look like? 
Uh, I believe it happens when we decide to make little adjustments to what we want to match better what God wants. Like when I read the joy King Limhi's heart, when Ammon reveals who he is and where he's from, or his happiness when he learns recently found ancient records are now possible to be interpreted. And now he and his people mourn for not knowing the location of Alman and his people because they have made their own covenant to God, to serve God. Now they would gladly join them. All of these emotions come from a caring heart and from a place where the Spirit can dwell. I see a changed people when they all come together to seek deliverance. This time they're not complaining and angry seeking for revenge. They're different now. I was struck with how different they had become, especially in verse 3 of chapter 22, when Gideon comes forth with an idea about how they could escape. Now think about this. A king and his people would all patiently listen to a leader who could have been the same man that led them when they suffered defeat and loss. You might think they think, why trust anything he'd have to say? But they did. They did because they could see how far they've come together. The Lord has blessed them as they have been humble, come to the Lord, forgiven, served, and made covenants and dependent on something greater than themselves. They are a changed people. They are now ready for deliverance. Like the stories of people of Alma and Limhi, we walk our own paths carrying burdens and difficulties. No matter the length of time it took, both groups were promised delivery. Back in the day when I would take tests on that memorable mimeograph paper, I'd draw lines to words that were similar. The connections between the people of Emma and those of Limhi might seem different at first, but I discovered when I slowed down and gave space, I could see better no matter who you are or where in life you find yourself, God has a plan for your delivery. It's not important to discover it first, it's more important to discover it for yourself. Slow pace, give space. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who also loves the Book of Mormon. And if you're on Facebook, be sure to like our page and join our community. You type in writing the Book of Mormon dash discussion group. This will keep you up to date and current with new topics and conversations surrounding our study. I do appreciate you and I hope you have an amazing day.